Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. We are reading from the 93rd Anucheta of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We're discussing the impartiality of the Supreme, what his intention is in regard to the creative act, this particular subsection of the 93rd Anucheta is entitled uh, Asuras killed by Krishna attained Brahma Sayuja. And we began this uh, Anucheta's uh, discussion in the last class and we'll continue from where we left off. Shujiva Goswami continues. This is as evidenced in the case of Bhagavan's order to Yama. Following my order, O great king, bring my guru's son, who is brought here due to his own karma. Jiva Goswami continues his commentary here. Because this intervention by Bhagavan is very rare, however, it does not lead to the defect of rejecting a desirable outcome and accepting an undesirable one in all circumstances. In other words, even if there is some, like a ripple effect created by the Lord's Leela within when he descends as an avatar into the material manifestation, displays his pastimes, even though there is something that is out of the normal course of activity, like the normal actions and reactions that come about by karmic action with under the most material nature. Generally, all that kind of fits in nicely. It's all arranged and fits in to the laws of material nature and no one notices a big upheaval. Things go on as they normally would and his Leela kind of fits seamlessly into material nature and everybody's content with that. The atheists can still maintain, maintain their atheistic viewpoints and the theists can still maintain their theistic viewpoints and the impersonalists can still see the Supreme in the way that they see the Supreme. The yogis can still see as the absolute truth. We can get some indication of that seeing in relationship to the Lord when Krishna and Balaram entered the wrestling arena. It was pointed out there that everyone was seeing God according to their angle of vision. So it's not like the Lord descends into the material world and the sun stops coming up in the morning and it's bright all day and all night and fighters on the battlefield see a magnificent form. of the This universal form was seen by Arjuna and it, it was displayed for his for his edification in being able to pass on to, to us the fact that this is actually God. This is not just my friend. He has something to say and it's good for me and it can also be good for you because he does stand out. But generally, Jeeva's pointing out, this doesn't happen. Generally, uh, not that Krishna doesn't always give instruction to humanity. What I mean is, what generally doesn't happen is something like this basically bringing somebody back from the dead. This is not a, not a normal occurrence. 
Now, also, we have to remember in this context, a lot of the pastimes of the Supreme Lord and in his various descents, his avataric descents into the material world, they do happen at different times in different yugas and even perhaps on different planetary systems. So even they may seem fantastic to us like you know the you know a, a demon being able to to make uh make the illusion that uh urine and 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 stool and pus and blood is falling in, as rain from the sky when demons engaged in a battle with krishna or showing krishna that his father's head has been cut off see i've just cut off cut off vasudev's head so there are demons and they do have mystic powers and we read about certain leelas in the Bhagavatam we say oh that's fantastic well if you had a, compl- a complete and comprehensive understanding of the material universe and the fact that there are 14 divisions of planetary systems from the from heavenly planets down to very hellish planets they have different atmospheres and the atmospheres according to the the character and the nature of the, the residents there, the lifestyle is very different. And in some planets, uh, the living, you know, the jiva is living in one body for thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, and on other planets, a very short period. So, and then the different ages of mankind. Those things, although they're very fantastical, and very mystical from our viewpoint when we hear about them, they do fall in the, the normal, normal sequence or the normal nature of material, the material manifestation. So there's two divisions here. So we're not talking about those. Those would be how do we see the material manifestation through the eyes of Scripture before we even talk about the advent of God. There are demigods. These demigods have immense powers, far exceeding anything that we could even imagine from our earthly perspective. If Brahma was to walk in on us right now, we would we would be just dumbfounded. What do we do? All we could do is fall on the ground. My gosh, somebody is his intelligence alone would 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 render us. Comp- completely dumb in his presence. The level of his intelligence, the effulgence of his body, the, the bodily strength, what to speak of an Indra or a Chandra or a Sura or all these demigods. These are not lightweight personalities that run the universe. They have been empowered by the Supreme with various of his Shaktis to manage the universal administration. What to speak seeing Krishna? I mean, we're talking about seeing a demigod. So, <laughs> just to try to, to get some perspective on, on the nature of the world we live in. It, it's quite, quite amazing. So, when we, when we read in the Bhagavatam about, you know, Swayambhuva Manu at the very beginning of Brahma's day, 
which was half a lifetime, half a day time ago, but billions of lifetimes for jivas like ourselves, who are living for a paltry hundred years if we're lucky. He's saying even when he does this, even when there is some something that's really out of the ordinary, it's not a defect on the Lord's part. There's, he has no defects. So he can bring somebody back from the dead. That's okay. It's all right. doesn't mean that he's, he's contradicting his laws of material nature, although he is, because the laws of material nature are his laws. If he decides to give someone clemency or... You know, he can do that. Now, if for some, if some bear malice towards the devotees, then Bhagavan's own hostility towards such people is not a defect, because this is part of what it means to favor his devotees. Rather, because such hostility toward those who oppose the Lord's devotees nourishes his affection for his devotees, it is a unique manifestation of bliss that is part of his Ladini Shakti. So when Krishna gets mad at somebody that opposes his devotees, it gives him pleasure to stand up for his devotees. It's like Vera Ross, like, you insulted my devotee? Well, the hell with you. I'm not going to put up with that. It's just like, you know... If by chance you're in a scuffle as a young child at a playground and the bully's beating the hell out of you and your father walks along and sees what's going on and walks into the playground, I mean, and picks up the the bully by the nap of his neck and says, what the hell do you think you're doing here? So Krishna does that. He does intervene for the benefit of his devotees, but it's not... It's, it's, it's good. It shows his love. It's only a manifestation of bhakti. Now, it corresponds under most circumstances with normal karmic reaction. That's what normally happens when the Lord comes and he engages in his leela. So it's, it doesn't appear like anything out of the ordinary. Bringing a child back from the dead once in a while he does, once in a while something like that, a little unordered. But, you know, picking up the bully in the, in the, in the playground that's beating up your, your, your son. So Krishna shows favor to his devotees, and it's truly just an expression of his internal potency, his loving exchange with his devotees. And even if the personality that was being mistreated wasn't his devotee, normally that person would still have a reaction from such mistreatment under normal circumstance. So Krishna just kind of seamlessly goes in there and executes his... And he, through these circumstances, he can show love. We can't fault him for that, is what Jeeva is saying. Can't fault him for that. It's okay. It's a unique manifestation of bliss. It gives him pleasure. <laughs> You're hurting my son. You know, it, it's, it's, so then would that be considered self-interest? Because we talked about self-interest all earlier. If it's self-interest, then it's not considered favoritism towards anyone. It's his self-interest. Yeah. It's a manifestation of his internal potency, yeah. which is coming back to him from the heart of his devotee. Yes. 
Because of this hostility, Bhagavan awards such people oneness with Brahman, which is like a desert in relation to the all-exceeding nectar of Bhakti Ras, which at every step manifests varieties of condensed bliss. The attainment of oneness with Brahman is acutely opposed to the nectar of devotion to Bhagavan and is granted only because it is the proper treatment for a person whose disease of enmity toward the devotees of God cannot be cured by anything else. There's just no cure for these people. They just, they, they, just, they hate devotees. They dislike devotees. What are you going to do with them? There's no way to treat them. You all the kindness in the world, all the philosophy in the world, it just doesn't work. Krishna's equal to all. He wants to help everybody out. Well, to, for them, he's got to put them on a permanent hold. Here, merge into my effulgence. It's okay. Now, no more enmity. You're not going to get in any more trouble. My Sudarsan Chakra, if I merge you into my effulgence, my Sudarsan Chakra will not chase you eternally throughout the unlimited universes trying to seek retribution for your offense to my devotee. So it's really a break for the for the those that are so inclined to have enmity either for the Lord or for his devotee. The prowess of Bhagavan that arises because of this hostility keeps his Swarup Shakti in the form of Bhakti concealed from those who are the object of his hostility. And thus, from the devotee's point of view, Brahma Kaivalya is equivalent to the non-existence of an object after its destruction. This equivalence view is expressed in the following statement. This is from the sixth canto. You can see it's so nice the way Jiva Goswami weaves these verses of the Bhagavatam into his explanation. And he just, you know, he, he, he brings us to a point of, you know, a, a deeper appreciation for the Bhagavat Purana. He just he says here, all those devotees, all those devoted to Sri Narayan, regard all circumstances as equal, whether it be promotion to heaven, liberation from material existence, or dwelling in hell. So for the devotee, it's there's no difference. Whatever. Give me heaven. Give me hell. Uh, Give me liberation. That it, it's all. Well, I'll take the heaven or the hell, but don't give me the liberation. But it is they are equal from their viewpoint. Doesn't matter. It all. It doesn't really matter. Because if it doesn't lead to a, a thickening and a deepening of my love for Krishna, I don't care. I don't care one way or another. According to this principle. Bhagavan awards a very special, distinct punishment, Brahma Kaivalya, to them 
who bear hatred for God or his devotees, which is, however, exceedingly intolerable for others, the devotees, and which is undesirable even for those seeking sense pleasure. By such punishment, their complete material misery in the form of formidable, heinous desires is also destroyed because Bhagavan's nature is such that his actions culminate in everyone's welfare. So he's, he's doing the best that he can for such individuals. Parameshwar offers such people even that which is aspired for by those who worship the Absolute with an exclusive sense of oneness and with and which is attainable only with great ardor. Sometimes he even sends them to a special heaven that is intensely sought by those who cherish sensual enjoyment. Such a destination is, however, indistinguishable from hell for those who know the supreme reality, and hence it is filthy like worms in stool. So for the people that know the absolute truth, it doesn't matter, heaven or hell, or merging into the supreme, Kalvaya. For them, it doesn't matter. But from the devotee's viewpoint, anything but merging into the supreme. And if we look at it, as Jeeva's pointing here, if we look at it a little deeply, you can see that those jnanis who are seeking emerging into the supreme, Brahma Sayuja, um, that that same attainment is available for people that oppose the devotees. Well, at least they had some interaction with my devotee, whereas those others, they have no interaction with the devotee. So their interaction with the devotee, you could say, may you could give a reason. You could you could logically say they're having any interaction with the devotee whatsoever ended in their ultimate benefit that is an, a benefit equivalent to lifetimes of practice for the yogi and the aesthetic and the jnani to merge into the this to have the same merging with the energy of the Supreme merging into Brahman. Because why? Because they're interacting with the devotee even in a, in a hostile way of invoked in me a sense of love so that I could stand up for my devotee. So I liberate them. It's just a deeper way to look at, 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 at what's presented here that Krishna's it's all about bhakti it's all about praying bhakti how he's loving his devotees I like this sentence here sometimes he even sends them to a special heaven that is intensely sought by those who cherish sensual enjoyment because from a devotee's viewpoint if you look at Kaivalya, if you look at merging into the Supreme Brahman, that's like worse than hell. 
Well, at least if you go to hell, you're just going to hell. I mean, you may be there for a hell of a long time, but from a devotional viewpoint, better nobody merges into the supreme. Better they go to heaven or to hell. So if this line that Jiva puts in here about going to a special heaven, let them go to heaven. Such a destination is, however, indistinguishable from hell for those who know the supreme reality. Then there he quotes... Uh, the wives of the Kaliya serpent, who say the following in the tenth canto: "You regard your enemy as well as your sons as equal, and you chastise while anticipating only auspicious results. You chastise in such a way that there's only auspicious outcome for those that receive your chastisement, and I and you do it in such a way there's really no difference." between the way you chastise your son or the way you chastise your enemy. While anticipating only auspicious results for the recipients of such punishment. The word suta, sons, here refers to the devas, who are maintained just like sons. And the word dhamma, chastisement, is employed. Because even your chastisement is intended for their benefit. In those scriptural passages, however, where it is learnt that even wicked persons such as Putna attain the same destination as the most exalted devotees, Uttama Bhaktis, it is perfectly clear that these incidents occur exclusively through the glory of imitating such devotees. This has been described in statements such as even Putna, along with her family, attained your mercy by dressing in the guise of a mother. So now we're going to go, Jiva's going to continue and he's going to say, well, what about devotees? What when devotees become inimical towards devotees? What's Krishna going to do then? Jiva continues. If, however, some devotee somehow offend some devotees somehow offend other saintly devotees, then by that very offense they experience the misery of hatred toward devotees and Bhagavan for a long time. Like the intense scorching of an underwater volcano, which is diametrically opposed to their prior devotional disposition. Therefore, if they should somehow come into contact with Bhagavan again, even if only in the guise of a devotee, like Putna, all their defects arising from their offenses are destroyed, and they, along with their associates, attain his abode. They do not attain oneness in Brahman. Brahma Kaivalya. Because the seed of bhakti is of an imperishable nature. Bhagavan's anger toward them is like that of a mother towards her children. Therefore, everything is consistent. Even the devotees may be the most, may themselves turn into demons. And it happens under certain circumstances. Even that happens Krishna does not treat anyone who's once rendered service to him in sincerity 
in the same way that he would treat someone who's never rendered such service. So bhakti's never lost, although it can be curtailed. And we notice Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur talks about the severity of Vaishnav Aparad. And in discussing that, it does say that devotion is lost. What it means is it's lost for a very, very, very long time. There's the downgrading to a lower, and there's there's uh, bhava becomes uh, a bhava boss, so you're not really experiencing the, the an exchange with the Lord. It's only an apparent exchange. So, depending on the severity of Vaishnava Parad, bhakti itself can certainly appear for all intents and purposes to be taken away in its entirety. Now, of course, Vishwanath's discussion of this level of Vaishnav Aparad is given in relationship to a discussion in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu of Bhava Bhakti, the characteristics of Bhava Bhakti. So, generally, once you're at the stage of Bhava, you should be well past those kinds of bhakti offenses. They should be practically nil by the time one reaches the stage of bhava. But still there's the possibility. So therefore the admonition is there. And still we can see even in the Bhagavatam we have the rare. And remember this is a rare circumstance when somebody at bhava bhakti like Bharat Bharat Maharaj at that point falls down due to attachment. He's already in bhava, as is, as as was presented in the Bhagavatam. This is a rare occurrence. It's just meant to be an example. Similarly, what Vishnu is talking about when some someone's at bhava and becomes that offensive to a Vaishnava, committing a Vaishnava aparad. That doesn't give us any leniency in committing Vaishnava aparads even at the stage of of sadhana bhakti uh, before we've attained bhava bhakti but the severity of the reaction is also in relationship with the qualification of the bhakta the more you become qualified to perform bhakti the more you advance through the stages of bhajana kriya uh, uh, anartha nivritti nista ruchi asakti so these beginning sadhana bhakti, as you as you become more qualified, then your guard naturally, automatically goes up as far as offending other devotees. And if you don't notice it going up, you you need to be aware. You don't want to do anything to interfere with your advancement, even at the, even at whatever stage we're at. We don't want to offend devotees under any circumstance. Now, in the beginning stages, we may, we still have conditioning, we may say things we didn't mean, we may, you know, do things we didn't want to do, things may just come out, but as the devotee matures in his practice, this, you notice, is happens less and less. And when we see devotees at the stage of bhava, when we have such good fortune as to see such persons, uh, this this offending of devotees is not in their character anymore. 
for all intents and purposes, it, it leaves. But still, you always have to be vigilant. You always have to keep the fence around your creeper, even though the creeper's turned into a, to a tree itself with some roots. Still, fencing is not a bad idea. Elephants are pretty big animals. <laughs> I can even rip through good, the, the most strongly cons constructed fences. So now we go on and deeper. And so King Parichit asked, Bhagavan himself is equal to everyone, beloved to all, and the well-wishing friend of every living being. O Brahmana. So why did he kill the sons of Diti on behalf of the of Indra as if he were biased in Indra's favor? This is, this is at the very beginning of the seventh canto. What's going on here? Briggs is saying. Krishna is equal to everyone. He's everyone's best friend. Sama, equal to everyone. A friend to all, Surit. And he's beloved by everyone, Priya. So these three words are in the verse. Sama, Surit, and Priya. Meaning that he is the object of everyone's love, Jiva points out. Since he is thus equally disposed to everyone, and the well-wisher and object of love for all, how could he slay the Asuras as if biased against them? The question raised here about bias, which is the negation of sama, which is equality, is used as an indicative, in, a, in an indicative sense, uh, the way the verse is constructed in Sanskrit, Jiva points out. So that means it's an upalakshana characteristic. It's a characteristic that can be applied to all of the words. He's the friend to all, he's equal to all, and he's everyone's beloved. Any this should this can be applied to all of the words that Parikshit's presented here. Jiva points out. Sug suggesting that the question could have been rephrased, substituting the other qualities named in the first line of the verse. For example, how could he slay the Asuras if he were not their well-wishing friend or as if not beloved to them? So that ends the Anucheta 93 in six subparts. And Jiva's now going to continue this same line of thought all the way through to the 104th. A couple points from the... Uh, from the commentary, need mentioning uh, regarding what we were discussing. Of, of I thought this was worth sharing with you from the commentary regards to the way Krishna's leela seamlessly, you know, comes into comes into the normal sequence of material uh, events under the influence of the laws of nature. Sri Jiva responds that although Bhagavan's intrinsic potency is beyond the jurisdiction of Maya, who can accomplish unimaginable tasks, 
she nonetheless behaves in a way that makes Bhagavan's pastimes appear to be under her control. He gives an example to make it clear. Everyone is working under their past karma. When one, when some meritorious or unmeritorious reactions are due to occur to a person as an outcome of past karmas, one may seek corresponding omens. This word omen is sometimes used in regards to uh, bija, that form just before parabda of karmic reaction. So we have, of course, abparabda is like this big pool of, hasn't, hasn't even come up yet. And then aparabda, uh, kuta, and then bija, and then parabda. This stage of just before parabda comes, sometimes you'll have a sense that something's bad's coming your way. Do you have a sense this is not going to end well for me? I'm going down. I'm going down the wrong path. I'm I'm pushing the limit here, and something's going to come my way. And you have a sense that. I wish I could back off, but you're already in it. You're already <laughs> completely intoxicated, and you, you know that you shouldn't be driving, but you're on the highway. We sometimes have an omen that we know we've pushed it to the limit, and watch out, and then parabda manifests. So sometimes this is referred to in the scripture as an omen. When some meritorious or unmeritorious reactions are due to occur to a person as an outcome of past karmas, one may see corresponding omens. The omen itself is not the cause of the good or bad result. Merely an indicator. Yet, one may think it is, an ins- it is instrumental in bringing about the happy or miserable situation. A common omen is a black cat crossing one's path. This is supposed to bring some inauspicious outcome. People usually get upset at the cat. (laughs) But the cat is not instrumental in bringing about the result. If the omen is true, it is only an indicator of the future event. Similarly, Bhagavan is engaged in his Leela, and Maya follows it simultaneously like an omen. To an ignorant person, it appears as if Maya is causing his pastimes. Sometimes, however, Maya is unable to keep pace with the Leela. In such situations, the supreme independence of the Leela becomes explicit. Shijiva here gives an example of an occasion when this occurred. Shijiva explains that pastimes that demonstrate the super-independent nature of Bhagavan are rare. In most cases, his acts do appear to correspond to the law of karma. So with that, we'll be done with the 93rd Anacheda and continue in our next class with the 94th. Any questions? Yes. It makes me wonder how then it's auspicious for the Lord to come if 
if it doesn't really affect how things happen in the future for those people who don't come into contact with him directly. You know, it says it's auspicious for the whole world that the Lord comes, but mm-hmm. if his sphere of action just kind of stays within the bubble of his own It doesn't, though, does it? It doesn't stay within that bubble exclusively. Then I would think that that the ripple effect then would change things that aren't... It changes them spiritually, but it doesn't interfere with the normal karmic reactions, I think is what Jiva's point is here. You you know, a Jata Sukriti, devotees, you know... They hear about the pastime even casually. They see the Lord's devotees. They, 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 they see the Lord's interaction with the devotees even if they don't recognize the devotee as for what they are or the Lord for what he is in the pastime still. It's, he, everything he does, it's his nature that everything in relationship to, to him and everything that he does is beneficial in all circumstances nothing bad here at all even when you see it as the most severe of chastisements that he may display in his leela still even the most offensive uh, offensive of personalities to his devotees his most dear ones krishna is actually rewarding them with liberation just to stop them from doing any more harm to themselves so in all instances, he's he's doing good in the world. But it does highlight a point that, as devotees were well aware of, and that is the fact, for the most part, the benediction of bhakti comes through the agency of the bhakta, not through the Lord himself. He allows that glory, and he he... He revels in that glory more than himself awarding such devotional opportunity to others within the universe. So, yeah, in one regard, you could say that he keeps his devotees enthused and in their enthusiasm through hearing his leelas, through engaging in his pastimes, if they're so fortunate to, or just hearing about his pastimes, they become enthused. They want to share their enthusiasm and in sharing the enthusiasm, then you can't say that his descent does not have a, a, an extremely beneficial result on humanity at large because it enthuses his devotees and then they sing his glories and then people get to hear his glories and they become devotees. All right. Thank you so much for your association.